you among the masses? And you will never pass us. Are you among the masses? Are you among the masses? And you will never pass us. You're listening to After the Encore, the music podcast that explores what happens after the music fades, what happens after the encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and are we living in extreme days, or is that just the nature of our guest today, David Tosti? Yes, David Tosti, the lead singer of the Christian rock band PAX 217, stops by the show today to talk about what music means to him. How did he quantify success? And what happened after the music faded? After Pack 17 fell out of our collective consciousness, what happened to Dave? Where is he focused? What are his ventures? Where has life taken him? In another installment of the hit volume, Truth, Soul, Rock and Roll, we examine former Christian music artists. We find out what brought them to the genre and to their particular bands? What did they experience while they were a part of these bands? And what happened when the music faded? And what happened after the encore? It's a great conversation. I think you're really going to enjoy it. So stick around. David Tosti of PAX 217 is right up after this. You're listening to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and I am here with David Tosti. David, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me on. Glad to be here. I am stoked. I know we were talking a little bit before we got started, but um, David, PAX 217 was uh, constantly playing in my house, in my car, um, in my headphones as I was getting ready for hockey practice or hockey games. I mean, it was bumping. I was in high school in the early 2000s, so that genre of music was everywhere and PAX 217 slid right on in uh, and was part of my regular rotation. So I'm pumped to talk about the origins of PAX 217, to talk about your career, to talk about music in general. Um, and we're going to get to that. But but first, uh, what I like to do here at After the Encore is sort of level set our expectations for the show. So I want to I ask you, David, a question to kick us off. What does music mean to you? <laughs> Just a simple, slight, small question. Yeah, like, yeah. what does music? No, that's great. I love it, man. Um, man, music. I mean, so many ways I could go on this, but I, I would say simply, you know, music is absolute therapy mm. for me, um, and um, vibration, man. <laughs> vibration. It's like we are living in a universe and a world made of vibration and to listen to people sing and express um, is so incredibly powerful and important. And you know, I think the other part for me being a singer in a band and, and having had that experience, which I'm so grateful for, is that 
there is an incredibly powerful thing that happens when you're on a stage and a bunch of people are singing along with you. And, um, you know, I, I always like to think of it as like, you know, when I, when I listen to an artist that I love and I'm really connecting to something, they've, uh, maybe they've singing and said that, that is resonating with me. Um, that, that, you know, when we get to the show, by the time we get to the show and I'm watching them play, we're all essentially just, you know, raising our hands and jumping up and down and shouting at the top of our lungs. Me too. You know, um, not necessarily the movement me too, but, <laughs> no, no, but the, you. but the connection of, Oh, I feel what you're saying. Yeah. I feel what you went through. I feel um, what you've experienced and, and, or, or that sounds incredible. I'd like to experience that too. Right. Yeah. At some point you're just, you're saying yes to this. And um, I think that's such a huge gift that we have in the world with, with music and, it's still, you know, in my opinion, the most powerful art form we have. It is. It, in so many ways, connects us to what was here before, connects us to what will come after us. It's the ability to share stories, um, to bring people yeah. together. Uh, it mm -hmm. is powerful. And there is nothing, like, I... <laughs> I grew, you know, I, as I think a lot of people may or may, may or may not have, I'm making broad generalizations here, um, loved going to concerts, especially in high school era and college era, loved going to concerts. And I enjoyed some of the larger ones. I definitely went to a Blink-182 concert that is still imprinted on my brain that I love. Mm -hmm. um, some of my favorites were in the intimate venues uh so i i'm in the dallas area so i grew up going to mm -hmm. the door in deep ellum and oh yeah and um there was uh oh there's so many names well i saw blink at smirnoff that's not intimate that's larger and it's now i don't even know what it's called but lizard lounge i mean there's there's a uh uh, uh ooh, palladium ballroom that's what i was trying to think of there's a couple mm -hmm. of different venues that i just saw uh house of blues as well uh, great artists in a little bit of a more intimate setting. And it just, yeah. you could feel the energy share. And mm -hmm. that's why I like to describe it as the share between the artists and the fans and, and back again. And I was obsessed with watching live concert DVDs because to me, that was the closest I could get to sort of replicating that feeling on demand. And even mm -hmm. so it was like, not, not, not enough, but enough to like, put me in the mindset of feeling that sort of, as you were talking about the, yes, I'm here too. I'm here with you in the moment sort of experience. Mm -hmm. And that is powerful in a unique way. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. Yeah. I'm with it. With it. It's good. I want to, let's wind the clock back a little bit and let's talk about uh, your early days. So walk us through what it was like, Growing up, so are you from California originally? Is that where you're sort of originally born and got your upbringing? What was that? What was it like for you growing up uh, in those days? Was your family mm -hmm. musical? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I grew up in South Orange County in California, um, kind of right in between LA and San Diego, and um, you know, I, I grew up in a interestingly enough, you know, a very like suburban. Um, yeah, just a suburban area. Um, but there's a lot of music that came out of our area, a lot yeah. of different bands. Um, everything from hardcore music to ska music to, to you know, pop stuff. I mean, yeah. all of it. And, um, and, and it was, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful place to live. And 
really nice and all that. Um, and, and yeah, I grew up going to shows and as a, as a pretty young kid, um, you know, I, I, in the, in the Christian world of things, there's a lot of churches and, and spaces that would have concerts and give a space to, for bands to play. And, and, you know, it's a really unique thing because, um, I don't know of any other cultures, so to speak, that have a setup like that, right? Like right. if you live in a suburban area and there's no venues to go to, there's no places for young 16 year old kids to play their punk rock music. Um, you just, you don't hear it unless you go to a big show, right. Yeah. Or, yep. you know, or you go to the house of blues or something. Right? right. But, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to be in this little microculture of, lots of churches around here that, you know, would want to do stuff for kids. It was positive and good and, and would say, Hey, we got a, we got a big youth center here and we've got a sound system and you guys can come put on a show with your friend's band or whatever. And so we would, and um, we got to play with a bunch of great bands that were all, you know, a lot of them from here and and then others that would come through this area. And um, that was a huge gift, man. There's, there's a lot to be said about um, that opening up big possibilities for people like myself to be able to actually, play and have a stage have a place to go and play and um that was beautiful so because of that i i i not only got to go to little local shows down the street yeah but i also went to um see other bands play but but most of it was in a high school gym somewhere or like i said a, a church you know watching some hardcore bands or whatever and screaming together and you know we're probably all just going get me out of the suburbia ah, you know and <laughs> yeah screaming our brains out but it was it was right. great yeah. You know, cathartic. It, yeah, no, it's it's interesting you bring up bring up the 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 church. So I grew up in a fairly large church down here <clears throat> and I did notice sort of a and also sort of um in the suburb in the suburbs as well. And I noticed a bit of a push especially in the early 2000 late 90s early 2000 era of let's create the space that people want to go so that way you sort of can can create the environment well it sort of serves two purposes one you create the environment that kids want to go to so they they hang out here and they're not going to maybe maybe some places they may or may not should be going to or maybe they're not as safe as as they would like it to be um and then the other hand you also get the the benefit of um if you're a parent not having to take kids or, or corral kids some kind of all over all over town right or if you're a new driver driving all over town so it it creates that space and i noticed that there was um i, I don't know maybe maybe it's because I'm, I'm being very reflective in this space but i worked um i i was the music guy i worked in a christian bookstore uh, around this time and so i was the the young okay. hip guy that got hired to do the music area and <laughs> nice. so i was the one recommending pax 217 and then later hawk nelson and thousand foot crutch and 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 all of these different and of course a lot of pod as well um oh, man. Thank, to, well, thank you for that yeah thanks thanks for being our hype guy of course <laughs> of course and so i was i was doing that and i noticed a bit of a of a boon between in my opinion the sort of like dc talk era where people are starting to to jam out a bit a little bit more and then all of a sudden we've got like i, I mean i i i said it earlier but i couldn't hear a distinction between pax 217 pod and some of the sublime and 311s I was listening to in in that sort of like spectrum of music and I mean that mm -hmm. in a positive way in that mm -hmm. it felt like there was um 
to me, uh, a lot of guys I could get behind that my parents wouldn't sort of be upset about in, in that in, in that in that regard. So I'm curious uh -huh. about from your perspective. So I'm bringing it back around to you. I was talking about the church because it felt like um, sort of Christian culture and that idea of kind of making its mark and and setting some sort of a stake in the ground of like we're going to contribute to the music scene or society in that way in the youth push. But I want to know from your perspective, what were some of the bands that you were listening to that may have helped influence some of your early musical tastes? Oh, um, yeah, it's interesting. Like, you know, so I grew up, I grew up in a very conservative Christian home and my parents were always, you know, encouraging me to not listen to whatever, like just mainstream music. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, nah, I'm going <laughs> to listen. I'm going to listen to what I want to listen to, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. you know, fortunately or unfortunately, I had to like sneak a lot of music, so to speak, or, or listen to yeah. a lot of things that they didn't know I was listening to, which, um, which would be, you know, like the first CD I ever bought that I remember buying was uh, Depeche Mode um, Policy of Truth, like a, a single with a bunch of remixes. So I had like five bucks and I went to this record store uh, with my friend and his older brother who was really into the cure and Depeche Mode. And he introduced me to him. I, I've thanked him many times for this. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and I was looking around, I said, what, what, what should I get? And he said, Oh, Depeche Mode, man. And that's what we were listening to in the car or something. And so I found this one CD that I could afford and I bought that. And I listened to that. I used to listen on a repeat over and over and over again. Um, as well as, I mean, I was listening to, I was listening to like, Dude, I was listening to Two Live Crew and and uh, Motley Crew and um, the Red Hot Chili Peppers and the Beastie Boys and um, Zeppelin and uh, gosh, what I mean, just so so many bands that you know, like a lot of like classic rock, like Hendrix and, yeah. and stuff like that. And then um, you know, then I was I was into Dre and Snoop and Rage Against Machine, like I said, and and um, Nirvana. Um, bad religion. I mean, I was listening to a, a lot of different stuff, and um, and it, it's so interesting because I, I say that, and and you know, now we, we I think we're just so used to many of us in the on the planet just listening to lots of different music because we have exposure to that, and we're constantly suggested playlists on Spotify or whatever, right? But 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 even you know, as a six, sixth grade kid, you know, eleven, twelve, thirteen, in there, I you know, I had very limited resources to find new music. Yeah. And um, especially when you're in a home that is like, you can't listen to this, you know? And right. so, so like, I remember being in Boy Scouts and this kid was listening to Metallica on the drive up, you know? And he was like, you weren't supposed to bring your, your Walkman with your CD player and your headphones, <laughs> but he, he had one and he's like, listen to this. And he gave me like one ear to listen yeah. to. And I'm listening to this, like, you know, I think maybe it was the black album or maybe oh, yeah. it was master of puppets or something. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is insane. And, and, and probably thinking, you know, this is the devil's music. Cause that's what I was taught <laughs> and, and that sort of thing. And so, um, you know, it's just, just interesting how you found music back then was so different than, you know, my kids now find right. music, right. It's, it's so, such a trip, man. But I, I feel like what was cool about that is that I, I, I say all that to say is that I found a really broad, you know, because I grew up on like Motown. Like my dad was really into Motown and um and, and other stuff, but it was a lot of like jazz and Motown. I was kind of like the kind of main categories I would say that my parents listened to and and um 
And so I went out on my own and found what I could find and, and um, had to hide most of it. And, you know, lock my, lock myself in the room and play, play, play bass guitar along or guitar along to whatever I was listening to. You know? so. I, I completely empathize with that a hundred percent. I, um, <clears throat> man, I can't rem- I lost kind of the amount of times I would hang out at my friend, uh, AJ's house and we would go to like a CD warehouse or another record store the next day. And we would just start diving through the bins to see what we could find. And I remember, um, this was several years later, but I remember like, um, I had heard our lady peace, uh, gravity, that song. And I loved mm. that song, but I didn't have the album. And I remember I was looking, looking, and I pulled out the Naveed album. If anybody's familiar, it's got like this weird brown bird on the cover. And um, and I think a dude, I think the bird's on the dude, or I might be mistaken. But I pulled it up. I remember pulling out the thing, and I'm like, this is Our Lady Peace. The single's not on it, um, but it's Our Lady Peace. And I remember I opened it, and like cigarette smoke engulfed my nostrils. And like it was a little yellowy. And so it was like, three dollars and i was like done i'll take uh-huh. it and i yep. like listened to, and i just remember the <clears throat> the you taught the about the bass and so we played the the title track and it's just like a sick bass line to start it out and i'm just like what have i discovered and that that's like a lot of how you would discover me you just start diving around and being like what yeah. looks cool yeah and now yeah, it's so like interesting spotify too, that <laughs> Playlist. yeah man i'm with it that that's so interesting too because we you know we i was often so attracted to music through the artwork right and i think that I'm, i would say that's probably st- still the case at some level um but but it, it just felt very profound i think because it was a tactile sense that you know like you said you're opening the cd you smell some cigarettes and you're, you're like what is this um i didn't have that experience i i you know the cig the cigarette experience that you did but, but i had experiences of opening up albums and going oh my god this is so cool and like right. reading the lyrics and wanting to know where they're from and right you know all this all those things so i uh i wish that for the record uh no pun intended i uh uh wished i had not had that cigarette smoke is is what i would say but the album was still is and still is uh was and still is banging um but uh <laughs> But yeah, I also a uh, Columbia House. I don't know if anybody remembers the Columbia oh, yeah. House. Yeah, I got most sure. of my my experimental music that way. I got a Stained album. I got a Census Fail album. I got a Puddle of Mud. I tried that out. Um, that was a, a mistake to me. But hey, you try things out, right? And then I, <laughs> and then I, I I also peppered in like you know like Plus One was in there. Creed was in there. Um, I think I had DC Talk. I balanced it out. So. Were I asked, I could shuffle the albums on top of each other and be like, oh, look, I'm just listening to some good old Christian music. No big right. deal. Right. Who's Puddle of Mud, Joe? I don't know. I think it's about how Jesus used mud to wash the guy's eyes out. Oh, right. I, mm-hmm. That may or may not have been a real-life scenario of what happened. <laughs> I don't think my parents bought it at all, um, but still. Um I digress. So I want so so we talked about music being huge influences as well. So I know that we're going to get into this in the next part. Um, but you and your brother both uh, were pretty musical. So how did you start playing uh, the instruments? What made you start picking up? Uh, in your case, uh, the guitar, and I think your brother played the drums, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Yeah, my brother's a great drummer. Um, yeah, man. I mean, I I started playing you know piano when I was seven. My parents were both musicians. Um, great musicians and and you know they encouraged us to play and so I started taking piano lessons when I was 
seven. I, I played saxophone, clarinet. I, I think I tried the flute for a minute. Um, you know, it's, you know, my parents had different instruments around the house, you know, different points. So you pick something up and mess with it and see if you liked it or, um, and, and, you know, none of those things really stuck until, um, really like seventh grade is what I remember listening to blood sugar, sex magic by the chili peppers. Yeah. Check your, check your head by the beastie boys. Um, and, and, you know, maybe like Zeppelin four or something like that. And, and just being like, specifically with, with the chili peppers, you know, with flea, just hearing this music that was like, you know, really funky and, and groove oriented and all this and kind of rappy and, and going, Oh, I like all these elements and this, what the heck is this bass player doing? This yeah. is crazy. You know, yeah. this was like, when you hear when you're young, I love that thing when you're young and you find something and it just it's like it explodes a trillion neurons in your mind and you start going, What the heck is this? This is insane. I need to know more about this, right? Um and and that was that was that for me. And so I would just I got really into and I started playing guitar. My dad had like this crappy like classical guitar or something, and I, I started just trying to figure out notes and what things are what learn, learn a couple chords. And, um, and then I, I moved on to the bass when I was, when I was 15, my dad bought me a bass. I remember, I remember kind of begging him for like a year and a half. So I'm like, I need a bass, you know, I need a bass. And, um, he was kind of like, oh, I just want to make sure you like, you're actually going to dig this thing. I think right. before I bought, before I buy it, you know, are you yeah. actually going to play it? And sure enough for Christmas one year, I got this bass and I was just, Oh, it was over. You know, it was over. I was like just locked in a room, um, constantly playing, wanting to play with friends. And and then my brother was playing the drums. So he was, Aaron was 11 um, when he started playing and I was like um, 16. So we were like, we're five years apart and I both just started playing a ton. I think I played maybe, a, maybe a half a year or a year longer. Maybe I was 15 when I got the bass. That's right. So um, yeah just went for it, man. And, and it kind of just started opening up my world into playing with other people and the, the community and connection of playing with other people, which is amazing. And, um, kind of following it, starting to recognize what you like more because yeah. of the instrument that you're playing. Like, yeah. Oh, I don't like, I don't like this music because I don't like the way they play bass or whatever, yeah, you know, all those right, little yeah. things you do when you're young that like you judge and you shut off and whatever. Um, but I would say in general, I was, I was really open to a lot of music. I was, I was like very much um, just constantly trying to figure out stuff and learn and learn from other friends that were playing. And it was really cool, man. Very cool. Well, you're listening to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw. We'll be right back after this. Precipitation for the colors of 
You're listening to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw. And while you might be listening to this uh, in uh, the PM, which is when we're recording to it, it's not AM, though we are going to talk about AM. This is the PAX 217 section. Uh, That was a joke. I always like to pepper in some lyric jokes uh, for people who might be listening. Anyways, that's that's my one joke um, that I will use to start off a segment. No, um, but... (laughs) Um, so David, I want to, we talked about starting to get, uh, get interested in certain types of music, uh, based on the way you start playing music. And so, uh, I'm interested to know how, uh, as you're playing the, the instruments you and your brother are starting to develop as musicians and starting to develop and find your, your musical voices and in your case, like actual singing voice. How did that develop from uh, starting to gravitate towards certain sounds um, into the band PAX 217? What was that origin story like? Yes, yeah, that's, that's good. Um, when we first started, my brother wasn't actually the original drummer. I, I started the band with a really good friend of mine named Ethan and Ethan luck has played with tons of bands. throughout the year he's, he's an incredible musician and um, he and I started the band. And then we had another friend of ours named John who was playing drums for a while and uh, we found a singer. And so this is before I actually became the singer. I was the bass player and, you know, we're 16, 17 in high school playing. And um, we were doing this sort of, Trying to find, trying to find our way as you do through, uh, you know, again like the Chili Peppers and and uh, Rage and and then, you know, like ska music they were yeah. listening to, like the Specials and um, No Doubt was a huge influence here from oh, Orange yeah. County and um, and who else? Gosh, uh, and maybe some like punk ska stuff like uh, Op- Operation Ivy and the Clash would be in that mix too that I wouldn't call them punk ska, but they definitely, you know, brought in those elements, of course. And, um, and so we were just influenced by all these bands and we were doing this thing of like, how do you know, sort of like, we're not just a straight, there's like a lot of hardcore and punk rock music. Yeah. And it was like, okay, you no, know, we wanted to be more groove oriented, I guess you'd say, or, yeah. or you know, more danceable or funky or whatever. And, um, so, you know, we would just stumble through writing these riffs together and, and um, you know, one thing to another, you just you just start all of a sudden writing and kind of finding a thing like, oh, yeah, that's kind of a thing. You know, I think it's like what you do when, you, when you're a painter, right? You like you paint something and and um, I'm speaking as if I'm a painter. I'm not. But I have a lot of friends who are painters, who <laughs> sure. are great painters. And, you know, it's like you're, you you've got a concept or you've got some kind of path that you're going down and all of a sudden something you know as you're painting you might be in your seventh painting and you go oh yeah this okay there's something working here the maybe it's the palette the strokes maybe it's abstract maybe it's figurative whatever it is and then all now you kind of head down another path because of that one that one painting becomes like a like a monument or a sort of a marker as to the direction that you're going to take and um so we were we were in that process and and we you know, as we were writing, um, and now that I'm saying that I'm scanning for what, what would have been the marker, um, back then, but as the band did it, it, uh, you know, the singer that we had, Frankie, awesome guy, he left the band and it ended up being just my brother and I. So to point, 
fast forwarding, skipping a bunch of details. Yeah. You know, it's my brother and I in a, in a room. Um, the, the singer quits. The guitar player had already quit. We had just been like kind of moving through trying to find new guitar players. And I look at my brother and I say, I'm going to do this band, dude. Do you, do you want to do it with me? Like I'm, this is happening. Right. I don't care if it's just drums and bass for 10 years. <laughs> at some point we're going to be a band. Right. And um, he's like, yeah, you know, you know, he's like 12 or whatever, you know, he's like, or 13, probably 13 at that point. He's like, yeah, man, let's do it. You know? Yeah. And, um, and, and in that zone around 18, I was about 18 at that time. I started, you know, I'd always kind of been writing lyrics and writing melodies and things. Um, I didn't consider myself a singer at all. And a friend of mine one day was like, man, you should, you should be the singer. Why don't you be the singer? Cause I was talking telling them man i'm having trouble finding singers and you know going through your 18 year old misery that's just life so hard and <laughs> yeah. can't find a good singer um right. that you really like and he's like why don't you be a singer and i'm like nah i'm not i'm not a singer dude and he's like dude you'd be an awesome front man and you'd be great you could sing you got a voice and i'm like nah and um and then i went for it and we found i found a uh there was a guy that we knew that played in this pop punk band that Became it was Josh Hour who became our bass player and Pax for for the entire time of our career and just such an incredible musician and awesome dude and great bass player and um an incredible producer and, and singer and songwriter now too he's check out his stuff is incredible um so yeah it's just like this interesting how the evolution of things happen and you find yourself singing in a band when you thought you were going to be the bass player and you know, singing terribly, by the way. And, <laughs> and, um, I think our first show with me singing, I think was like San Diego state university amphitheater with POD and the supertones and no pressure, like a right? bunch of bands. What's that? Yeah. No pressure. <laughs> like first. So, and so we, we, you know, we were one of the first bands and I think we probably played for a thousand people or something like this. And, um, I remember going up there and just giving it everything I had and coming off the stage and being so out of breath and going like, Oh my God, I'm terrible at this. I got to get way better, you know? Um, but, um, we just went for it, man. And we just started playing show after show after show after show and things started to click. Did you get the, so I'm curious. Um, I don't want to lose this point. Did you get some of these gigs with OC supertones and POD and, is it because of sort of the church network that you were referencing before, or was it just sort of happenstance? Did you connect, get somebody that connected you there? How did that work for you? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, like for example, the supertones were good friends of ours. Okay. We grew up together. Didn't Tony, the bass okay. player of the supertones taught me bass for a little while. Oh, He's nice. Great, great bass player. And we were neighbors. We lived in the same neighborhood. Um, I used to roadie for the Supertones with my dad's Toyota minivan. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and, and drive a bunch of gear places. And so we're, you know, we're just kind of like, again, it was this interesting thing where there was like, there was several bigger churches here that all kind of had places to play. And so then you meet other people that are in bands and they have, you know, people trying to put together shows and things. Um, so I was, we're just lucky to meet and kind of have community to where, as we started to grow, like those guys knew us as the former, it was just PAX at that time. Gotcha. And we rename ourselves, right, to PAX 217. And I start singing. And then I'm reaching out to those guys going, hey, we want to play a show with you, you know. Gotcha. And um, so, you know, one thing after another, just things opened up. 
That's very cool. So how did you make then from that? So from coming off the stage, being out of breath, being like, whoa, I got to I gotta start working on this a little bit more intense. How do you go from that experience to getting signed with Forefront Records, correct? Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. and then uh, getting to uh, sort of... Uh, be featured in the in extreme days how how do mm-hmm. those like obviously there's a lot in between so i'm curious how those leaps happen yeah yeah um well so we played this this festival up in washington state called tom fest which was was a really cool punk rock hippie kind of festival it's all christian artists but like really cool like dave bazan and and um and the dingies who are you know friends of ours as well from orange county and uh, oh gosh man I'm, I'm actually blanking but mxpx and all all those guys yeah, like the, the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. slew of all those bands all the tooth and nail bands um were there our friends the halo friendlies uh these girls who are awesome from long beach played and so we we drove up and we played this festival and we went nuts man like we made probably made like i probably made like three thousand quarter sheet flyers at kinko's the week before we went up there yeah and we passed out those flyers as much as we could and we just showed like shameless promotion everywhere we went you know like it was ridiculous and um and that's where we met uh the guy who was our a and r guy at forefront records and so he came up to us and was like hey man i heard about you guys and i like what you're up to and we just struck up a, a friendship and we're in conversations for like, I think 10 months or so before we actually ended up signing with them. And wow, we'd had some other like talks of, you know, some other labels, we had some smaller labels come our way. And then we had um, some conversations with a few other, a little bit larger labels and, um, you know, ended up going with forefront. We felt like at the time we thought that was a good idea. Um, I'm not, not, sure that that was the case in the long term of our career but um, <coughs> but you know it is what it is it um there there was quite a few acts that were at um tom fest over the years um that was yeah it was it was um i don't know the way it was described to me way back in the day was almost like a woodstock for christian music in in a similar idea yeah yeah um, yeah for sure but yeah i think um um, it's just, well, I was, I was, I was stuck in a moment, uh, sort of flashing back to that, that period in time. Um, mm-hmm. but I'm curious how, um, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's interesting on this show, uh, sort of have interviewed, uh, folks that were on the extreme days album. And I think I'm, uh, now looking at the, the rundown of the track list. I think I'm just now making my way th- down the the album listing on artists to be on the show. It's so like Davey Basinger of Bleach. They're on the, mm-hmm. they're on the track list, right? Adam McClaw mm-hmm. birth suit. They were there. We've got David Tosti on here from mm-hmm. PAX 217. So, you know, what's next? Michael Tate. That's it. No, no biggie um, mm-hmm. on, on the show. No, uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm joking, but for those who don't know, I'm talking about extreme days, assuming that everybody who's listening to this knows, but extreme days was a uh, Christian, uh, I think it was Christian funded or at least Christian influenced uh, music about a quote unquote ex- extreme sports culture of the time. It follows these four friends who go on a road trip um, because one of the guys, his grandparents has passed away. So they're going to help his grandma um, 
help sell or save the house. I forget which. And along the way, they play some extreme sports. They get to, to rock out at a rock concert with PAX 217. And there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of, uh, I would say, conversations about life that happen in between some of the, the sillier and, and fun moments. So it was a movie that was very formative for me um, because it was the one it was sort of shown in a lot of church circles and a lot of church spaces. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so that's uh, it also has Dante Bosco, if you're a Dante Bosco fan from Hook or anything else that he's been in as well. Um, but what was that opportunity like to have your song featured on the soundtrack and then to actually be in the movie playing this mm -hmm. song. What was that process like for you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it's, you know, it's cool. Again, it's funny how things, you know, I, I look at, as you're saying this, it's like, you know, life is really about, uh, life is relationship and, and mm. about relationships. Mm. And we had developed a relationship with the guys who owned uh, a, a clothing company called truth truth clothing or i think it became truth soul truth soul armor maybe anyways yeah, yeah. it was this cl clothing company in orange county um they were like a christian based company and they they had us play shows in their their like warehouses you know do like these warehouse clothing shows and sell clothes and stuff and um eric and his wife were the ones who produced that film and they had talked to us back in the day you know so i'm like 17 and they're like, we're, we want to do this film, man. We want to do this film. And, you know, fast forward, I'd say four years later, um, they're coming our way and, you know, reach out to the label and our management and said, you know, we'd like to have PAX be a part of this. And they were always kind of like, we're going to, you guys are going to be the, like, you know, like out of all the bands, you guys are going to be the ones we love you so much. You know, we want you to be in the movie. And, um, and you know, you hear that stuff and you're like, oh, cool, whatever, you know, right. it actually came full circle. It was like, uh, it was a really, really cool thing. Um, awesome opportunity for us. And um, yeah, and then we, you know, yeah, we, we were in a scene of the movie and I, I have, you know, a, a big line in the movie that was two entire <laughs> words. Um, <laughs> that was the joke. I'll can I tell you a quick funny story? About yes, that? please. So, so, so we're on the movie set. We had, we'd been touring nonstop as we did. We flew in the night before to shoot this scene in Malibu. Um, and I was up all night because my friend, uh, Mark from a band called Christafari, if you've heard of them, but they're mm -hmm. like a big reggae band. Um, Mark uh, tightens dreadlocks. Okay. And so, and he's really, really good at it. And so he said, you know, dude, come over to my house. We'll post up, we'll watch movies all night and I'll, get your hair dialed for this video to shoot tomorrow. I'm like, cool. And, um, you know, you gotta suffer for vanity's sake. Right. Of so, course. <laughs> so, so, um, I'm up all night watching movies. This guy's yanking on my hair. It's so painful. A lot of it's really painful, you know, like just getting your hair pulled on all night. And then I'm exhausted. We go to the, go to the set the next day and we get there and, um, we roll in and I'm like so tired and I'm like, can I, uh can i take a nap somewhere and they're like yeah sure yeah we we, we can find you a spot i'm like because i had like you know two three hours before we're actually going to shoot right and i said and i and i by the way i said you know can i get my lines so i can work on my lines and they're like oh don't worry about it we'll we'll get you your lines like right before we shoot or whatever and i'm like i'm stressing because i've never done anything like actually being in a film and and 
acting right. at any level. And so I'm like, oh man, I really want to do a great job. Like, you know, got to get my lines. Anyways, well, I'm like, oh, they're like, yeah, just go to this. Um, <laughs> they're like, go to this, this like uh, yurt and take, take a nap. And I'm like, okay. So I just like, I go to this yurt and it's just like, kind of, it's kind of like dirty. And I got, I got like a hoodie on. I just yeah. put my hoodie on. I just kind of crawl into a ball. You know, there's not, it's not, it's not a, you know, a bougie rock star moment <laughs> at all. Um, and, and I'm, so I take this nap and I wake up and I'm at some point this, this like girl comes up and she's like, Hey, you know, kind of wakes me up in the year and says, Oh, you know, you're, they're eating lunch and, and you're going to be on like an hour or something. Like, okay. So I get up and we're walking back to the food area and, and I'm like, man, it's so weird. They have like, just like, like yurts here to like sleep and stuff whatever and she's like oh yeah well this is like a porn they shoot a lot of porn here and i'm like oh my god and I, so I just like i had just been sleeping on some freaking mattress dude that you know all the fun had been had on over and over and over and i'm just like oh so that's like how i started the day there and then i roll in and there again you know they put us on stage we're all set up we shoot we shot a music video while we're there so we shoot the music video and then and then they have this scene going and we're like on, you know, I'm on stage. This guy jumps up in the movie to, uh, you know, read his girlfriend, a love poem to like, yep. try and like win her over. Right. And, um, and I'm sitting there and I'm like, literally we're shooting the scene. And I'm like, I finally just said like, Hey, can I get my line? Like, I need to know what I'm supposed to say. And they're like, Oh yeah. And somebody like literally takes a minute. I see this like, like a PA in the back, like, flipping through some papers and she's like, oh yeah, it's um, tight rhymes. And I'm like, oh, and she just like sunk. And I'm like, tight rhymes, like that's the whole thing. Like that's, that's all, it. that's what you want me to say, you know? And they're like, yeah. And so, you know, as you've seen in the movie, yeah. um, you know, it's like the guy says this thing and I look at him and I go, tight rhymes. And that was like the joke is that I've, I've been in a movie and I had, two entire lines or two, two words that I got to say in a film. And, you know, I got there by way of resting on a porn set. So, <laughs> that was a good talk, talk about extreme days. I mean, yeah, right it, was, it was definitely an extreme day. <laughs> um, wild, a uh, tight, tight, uh, as tight. it were. <laughs> tight rhymes. Um, you should have made a sticker. Right. Uh, you really should. That's, Incredible. Well, I want to know as we're starting to like um, near the end of this segment. Obviously, Pax Two Seventeen had a couple records, not not just the the initial one that AM was on. What was your sort of? I want to say maybe uh, from the entire Pax Two Seventeen perspective, from the albums and the shows and the experience. What was maybe the one thing that you took out of your time? with the band that you then maybe have utilized as a mantra or a truth or something that has stuck with you throughout the rest of your life so far? Hmm. Powerful question, my friend. I like it. Um, gosh, you know, that's the one that like it could have front loaded me with, I could have sat with for a week. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, that's good. I, there's, uh, I think there's two things that come to mind, actually. One is, you know, the, the relationship between the members of the band mm -hmm. and, like, what we did as a crew 
you know, I, I, when you're like a young man in your late teens, early 20s, touring in a band, going all over the world, having so much fun, people are generally grateful that you're coming to their town and they're enjoying your music and stuff. Um, it's it's wildly fun and, and just a huge gift. And to be in a band with guys that you can you know, get along with and care about and, and um, you know, you're like literally seeing people's lives changed. Mm. Um, There's something powerful. And I, and I'll say that I don't use that phrase lightly because I think it, it can be just very trite to say that, but um, you know, when kid, when, when a 14 year old comes up to you and tells you, tells you that they've been cutting their wrists nonstop and that this one song helped them and they stopped yeah. and they see life differently now. That's, that's absolute magic. Yeah. And you can't, you just, you just don't have any, any guess to as uh, to your worth in the world. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I think that's, if I was in, if I was to be in a total different universe at that same age, like let's say I'm 20 in college, um, I, I definitely don't think I would have had that same sense. Yeah so early in my life and that was a, an incredible gift because I was also, you know, I'm a, I, I was deeply wounded and, and broken at the time. Um, and, and still am for that matter. I've healed a lot of things in my life. Um, and I'm so grateful for that. But, but at that time I was very, very much in a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, my parents divorce, uh, was feeling very confused about the world. Sure. Um, also, also like the, the side note, the Christian, the pressures of living in that world mm. and, and that you're supposed to live up to something that's called perfectionism, you know, it's just yeah. not a thing and, and yeah. not healthy. Yeah. Um, working through all that is, is like a really interesting thing. Um, and then you play a show and you feel completely high and elated, connected with spirit and connected with other, you know, the spirit of other humans powerfully. Yeah. And then you have the reflection come to you after a show, like, you know, my dad beat me like over and over and over and he still does. And like your music is helping me get through this, you know, um, that that's just like, it's an incredible experience to have. And there's not a lot of jobs in the world that you get to have that kind of experience, you know, um, maybe if you're a therapist, right. Or you're right. a social worker or something, you know, there's, there's lots of jobs out there, but, but, you know, I think you most people, especially at that age, you just don't, so I just feel very grateful, very lucky to have like chosen this. Like I'm, I'm 15. I'm like, I'm going to play the bass. I'm 16. I'm going to do this band no matter what, you know, and I'm 20 doing it. It's happening. I manifested it. We're putting out albums. We're touring, you know, like 200, 250 shows a year, meeting so many people. That's, that's gifts. So that's a long answer to your question. Couldn't give you a one liner there, but um, so just the, the idea of like being able to connect and go through and essentially like, you know, healing myself as I'm, you know, because again, look, you know, everybody that's coming to see Dave Tosti play is going me too, me too, at some yeah. level, they're feeling what I'm saying, they're feeling where I'm coming from. If it's one song or a part of a song or all of them, whatever it is. Um, and, and that's cathartic, because we live in a world that suppresses expression. Mm. And then we glorify rock stars who are like, you know, if you're, cardi b or you're you know 
whoever pick 50 artists right like um you'd be like oh they're crazy they're wild you know they do all this crazy stuff look at how they dress whatever i want to be like them so we accept them but if that dude's walking around the street dressing like he's dressing and you know rapping on the corner you'd be might be like oh that guy's weird right yeah so we just put someone in a different context and then we can you know we'll relate and we'll actually glorify them and in my case i got lucky because i was like deeply hurt deeply angry sad traumatized etc and able to express doing my best to take pain and make it beautiful right and then from that space have the reflections of people saying i like what you do yeah i see you man you're valuable here you're valuable in my life you know and that that's just like oh my god too <laughs> yeah lucky me you know that's why i'm like go go do more of it we all gotta do more of it you know yeah. whatever it looks like absolutely well thank you for sharing that i think one of the things that resonated with me <clears throat> and that I've tried to do in my life um, is if I can make the world a little bit better than I found it by the time I'm done, then I've done my job. And if we can have yeah. sort of that one, at least one moment where we positively impacted someone's life, mm -hmm. that's it. That's game over. And then we get the opportunity to continue to do that through mm -hmm. our kids, through experiences like you're talking about, through sharing music. Um, it's powerful. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Thanks for asking the great question. Of course. You're listening to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and we'll be right back after this. You're listening to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw. And David, I, there was so much power in what you shared as we were ending. Um, there's a couple things I want to I wanna go to. So I want to talk about kind of what your focus has been since PAX 217, or really maybe what your current focus is uh, from an art and life perspective. Um, and before we even get there, I want to talk about how one of the things that you brought up uh, sort of not quite as an aside, but sort of like in, in the grand scheme of everything that you were just sharing about your perspective <clears throat> in playing music in these shows is the sort of um, almost Christian culture that some of the music was a part of. So I grew up, so I'm going to center myself in the conversation for a moment. I grew up extremely religious, very conservative household. I'm not religious anymore. I'm very spiritual as an individual. And I believe that there is 
um, ways in which we can connect to other other human beings, music and art being a big part of it. And I like thinking that there's um, that I'm part of a larger story and that I matter and I'm contributing to a better world. Um, I also have my own struggles, uh, personal struggles with religion as a concept. And a lot of that has to do with my upbringing and my exposure and perspective. So that's me as an individual. Um, on this show, I've spoken to several people who are part of um, other uh, Christian groups. So Nate Cole being in Plus One, Adam LaClave being in, in Earthsuit, um, and even to a certain extent Owen Thomas from the Elms, speaking about how the the extra, in some ways, the extra harsh lens of the Christian label being almost slapped onto the CD um, provided an additional level of scrutiny um, that may or may not have been there in the quote-unquote secular world. So I'm curious, what was your perspective, if any, in in sort of having maybe some of those conversations with parents or leaders in the in the Christian space as you were touring? Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, I really... So, you know, I came from a place of wanting to do it right. At that time in my life, I was really in a place of, of uh, you know, thinking I had to do it perfectly, that I had to be impeccable and whatever, whatever that looked like at the time, right? And, and, um, and there is a, an incredible amount of pressure that, the Christian community would put on us musicians. And that's a blanket statement. And there's a lot of good, I do, I do want to say there's a lot of good, mm -hmm. um, like a lot of amazing people that we met that were just so gracious and kind and truly deeply loving yep. to us. And, and, um, and we had a really, you know, I, I will say something about Acts 217 as a whole, and this isn't, this is really me kind of speaking uh, objectively at the band, not, not really about me, but just, as a band, like we had a really, um, we had an incredible reputation with the promoters that we worked with, the pastors and the, the communities of churches that we met and through along the way, um, that we just, re we really like lived what we were doing. You yeah. know, we weren't like saying one thing and then behind the scenes being another type of person. Sure. Um, were we perfect was, you know, I was definitely, you know, any, you know, I, bulldoze people over or you know like be really opinionated and sure. like mr strong all that so there's there's plenty of mistakes i made but but as a band as a whole we made a huge effort to to really like i mean literally like leave a venue better than we left it kind of yeah. that was that was like our our mode was like how do we like how do we go everywhere we go and just serve people and bless them? Like, yeah. you, like where, where people are like the dude from the bass player from that band, like <laughs> help me clean up a mess backstage, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. We did, we did that all the time, man. It was, it was just like how we rolled and we would check each other on it. We would like ask like, or people would be like, dude, so I, you know, I did this thing and you know, I didn't tell anybody and stuff like that, you know, yeah. we'd be like, Oh, that's cool. You know? Um, and and really wanted everyone to know that was supporting. Cause you know, when you do a show, for example, there's so many people are helping behind the scenes, right. making food. You know, there's some, there's some mom or some kid in a youth group making yep. dinner for us. There's, you know, there's all kinds of stuff. And we really just wanted people to know like how grateful we were. The interesting thing that you would notice, and this is where the pressure would come from is that you would go into a venue and you would have people 
talking about the last band that was just there mm. and and usually saying a bunch of negative not always but like sometimes that yeah. came up a lot like they were oh they were fine they were nice but like they weren't christian enough kind of vibe mm. and they would say sure. things that this left this mark on you that was like oh shoot i gotta do it like i better not do anything wrong right because everybody's gonna talk about me because you know i don't know if you've heard it before but you know if you listen people will tell you who they are yeah and so when people speak like that you just kind of go oh okay they're gonna talk crap about us when we leave right so what are they right so there was that too there was that implied pressure it was like our we genuinely had the heart to do do good and to be really grateful and express that to people and and all that and um you know i was the last guy at the venue every night with kids you know yeah. we would we would hang out after shows and and most bands wouldn't do that at all you know or very little um and we kind of prided ourselves like i was like dude i'm not here i'm here to connect with people right so yes in the music but like I wanted to go that much further. And if 200 kids wanted to talk to the singer in the band, I'm up for it. Even when I was hoarse and had driven 18 hours through the night, the night before to get to that show, I was down. And so there was just, you know, that said, there was a, there was a lot of, a lot of pressure and you have people saying things, you know, pastors saying things to you about, you know, wanting you to be a preacher and a singer in a band or, um, you know, they, you know, often wanted you to do an altar call or something to like have people, you know, convert to Christianity. And I just wasn't really about that. You know, right. I, I, there was a, there was a period of time where I was open to it. Um, and I would, I would share things from stage or I would do that. And then the, I just, I kind of hit a wall. I'm like, I sort of woke up to some stuff going, Whoa, what am I doing? Like, this does yeah. not feel right. This feels really forced and contrived. And this isn't what my life's about. And if you, if you want to be like, Hey, pastor, if you want, that's why you're a pastor. Sure. <laughs> I'm, a yeah. I'm doing my thing. You do yours, you know, that kind of thing. And so, um, but yeah, there was a lot of pressure, man. And I, I really, um, you know, I'm grateful that I didn't end up a completely jaded, angry individual, <laughs> um, yeah. because I, we, cause I, I have, you know, I've had a lot of friends and people and bands and artists that were just so incredibly taxed by the church. Like the people that you yep. are saying they're for you are actually, just coming after you the yeah. second you blink wrong and that's just not okay and that 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 is the antithesis of of who jesus was in, in my opinion you know mm -hmm. so, what like what i mean Judge not. <clears throat> yeah no absolutely and it, it goes back to what you were saying too earlier when you said that life is relationships i mean it i i like how you said if you listen people can tell you who they are because that's so fundamentally true and the fact that i mean <laughs> you just said two things that were really interesting one being and a lot of bands won't hang out and like sit and talk with with the kids that came to 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 hear them right um maybe they're big timing maybe they're they're thinking they're busy or maybe whatever and that you're like look i'll sit and talk with with whoever because that's i'm about the relationships i'm about the bonding i'm about like getting to know people and also you talked about the deals the opportunities the situation that you found yourselves in were as a result of the relationship building that you have done because you're genuinely interested in people and who they are and getting to know them and people see that and they appreciate that because at the end of the day we all want to be seen and heard mm -hmm. and feel like we matter 
And when yeah. you connect with somebody where you're vibing with them on that level, you remember that. Was it? I think it was Maya Angelou that said people won't remember what you said, but they'll remember how you made them feel. That's yes. accurate, hundred percent. Yeah. Um. So I, I wanted. Quote. Uh, it's it is top five quotes, probably top two quotes. I think the only other quote is that I have also from Maya Angelou is um, you do the best you can, but when you know better, do better. I mean, come on. Mm. She's just <laughs> spitting fire. Um, I want to know. So what has, obviously there's been a lot that's transpired in your life from when PAX 217 sort of closed the door and then you moved on to some new chapters in your life. But I want to, instead of sort of going in chronological order, I want to talk about what is, what is something that you're most currently focused on? I know you do some photography, but what is, um, what inspires and drives you today mm-hmm. as we're recording mm-hmm. this in 2022? Oh, that's great. Yeah, man. Um, self-healing, mm. creativity are probably the two biggest category categories of interest for me, the things that light me up um and and deep intimate friendships and and connections with people um and and you know for me i've spent the last um like almost six years now being being a life coach working with people one-on-one around relationships and in their suffering and what's you know holding them back and things like this and it's not because i have anything figured out per se or that i've you know a lot of people have misconceptions with that word life coach <laughs> that means um it's it's kind of a hack of a term if i'm honest but um it's you know i'm really a mirror to people um and asking a lot of questions to get curious about what's going on for them and, and helping them come to a deeper self-awareness and um so that really lights me up it's, a, it's sort of interesting it's like it's kind of funny if you look back you know david tosti 24 in a band connecting with people listening to them being there for them after the show i'm hearing what's going on in their life and then fast forward 20 years and you know now on calls with people weekly um helping them sort of navigate by just standing with them and supporting with them and their vision and what they want and helping them get curious about themselves like why am i doing this thing or why am i in this and it's really out of work that I, I got in the work because I needed it. Someone coached me for six years that helped change my life more than anybody. And I took a huge um, leap of faith by a, a good friend saying, dude, be a coach. Kind of like a friend said, go be a singer. Right. <laughs> I was like, nah, I'm not going to be a singer, dude. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm a bass player. I had a friend be like, dude, you'd be a great coach. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. But actually <laughs> down inside in that moment, I was like, oh, yeah, that resonates. That might be a thing and um you know i was like 2017 and like immediately after that i have four clients just came out of nowhere and like it was wild how the universe responds to things like that and so um that's been a huge drive for me is just to understand um people and to understand how we work and psychology and trauma and and understand how like you know ultimately i love the idea of coming alongside people yeah. and, and and so many people have come alongside me and so why would i not want to pass that on you know 
Um, so that's, that's a huge push for me. And, and on the creativity side, you know, I'm just, I love, I, I still love music. I'm working on new music right now. I've been quite slow at completing it and, and getting it done. Um, yeah, slower than I'd like anyway, but, but you have some stuff coming out in this next year. I'm really excited about and, and just to express, you know, like to actually get past the point of, again, not, I don't need to be not looking for perfection. I'm looking for play. Yeah. You know, and I want to, um, I just want to sing, man. Singing feels good. Singing feels good in the body, you know? So it's, uh, I, you know, if I can, whether it's playing music, writing music, being around music and then, yeah, with photography work, you know, I love that, that creative outlet as well. It's so fascinating to me how this conversation, there's so many, you talk it about when you're talking to people, you're essentially holding up a mirror, asking a lot of questions, allowing them to explore themselves, right? And then in a lot of ways, there's been so many mirrors, I think, in, in your life. That's also fascinating to me, right? So we talk about the relationship building. You mentioned like 20, 20 year old connecting with people now later in life, also connecting with people in a different way, but still through a way in which it resonates so deeply and personally with so many people and both, right? Like you said, both friends saying you should do this, you would be great at it and having almost that doubt at first. And then of course, the universe finding a way and providing. And I loved how you talked about, we talked about some of the perfectionist perfectionism culture at play um, a little bit before um, in some ways in the religious setting and that now the music uh, it doesn't need to be perfect. You just play. You're just enjoying it and the perspective of it. And I think I'm speaking from my own personal experience. I would say there's so many situations in which I felt like I needed to chase that sort of perfect moniker in order to be considered adequate is what I would say just in life. And that did, and that's my own interpretation, right? And so um, it did a lot more damage than, than it should have. And so now in my thirties, what I've worked on reclaiming is that essence of curiosity and creativity and exploring and permission to not need to chase perfection, mm -hmm. but to have mm -hmm. that play. And, and I really, I mean, I like the person that I've discovered I am as a result yes. of learning and holding up a mirror and getting to ask those questions. So mm -hmm. I love that you're doing that uh, for so many people. It's incredible. Ah, thanks, brother. Yeah. Appreciate that. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's so freeing, right? It's yeah. very liberating to, to say, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this thing. I'm going to try being this way, right? Gonna, see if I can act a certain way or speak a certain way or, or try a different way than what, what I've done before and see what, what results I get, how right. it feels, ultimately how it feels in the body to feel yes. good, not just, not to um well to be to be to be able to know yourself deeper yes and then to really you know for me it's really really like why am i trying to work on healing things uh, ultimately i want to have a greater capacity for love mm. and if i can have a greater capacity for love then <clears throat> i know that my relationships around me are going to um 
you know, be greatly impacted and, and, you know, my kids, my family, et cetera, to my friends, to people I interact with, whether it's on a work level or creative level or whatever it is that I'm going to be one who is um, reminded and reminding of love that we're all connected. You know, yeah. we're all just, we're all just a part of this great flying space ball. <laughs> yep. And, you know, and unfortunately, you know, um, there's so much going on in the world all the time as it is right now, of course, that, that is so polarizing and, you know, dividing versus unifying and things like that. And so, you know, it's all about just looking at myself and going, I can't, I can't change the world. I can change me. Yeah. That's absolutely right. Um, if you had one piece of advice to somebody who is just starting out in music, what would you like to leave them with? Hmm. a friend who's listening who might be in the music <laughs> um, the first thing that comes to mind is to you know I, I'll, I'll share a quote the quote is my probably my favorite quote quote that is Create like a child, edit like a scientist, detach like a warrior. And in the world we live in, it's very easy to do things like social media, et cetera, that we compare so much of our lives to what somebody else is doing. And if you want to be a great artist, do you, do you a hundred percent and allow your expression to come through whatever that looks like even if quote unquote it sucks um because you feeling free is what's more interesting mm -hmm. you feeling liberating liber liberated mm -hmm. is what's more interesting and you will have a happier life and you will feel more free and you will ultimately um, cathartically heal a lot of things by doing that and so if you can stay but to back to the quote um, we often forget or never even maybe knew how to play like a child but we have been taught by culture and society to hurry up and edit so for example yes i have an idea for a song and you strum one chord and you go nah that sucks that's where the editor comes in the scientist comes in and he wants to shut that idea down real quick Versus just have fun and just play. Yeah. Just just get in there and play. And you know, I, I spend, you know, I don't spend a, as much time as I would like playing and writing. But the time that I do spend playing and writing, I, I often I'll as soon as I get in my head and that scientist comes out, I'm like, all right, pause, time out. Yeah. And I'm just like, dude, he just enough of him. Yeah. I just want to play. If I can play, that's where like the joy comes through and the good vibe happens and the, the things that come through and you say, oh, I just wrote this song in like 15 minutes. I can't believe that happens because you were not being a scientist. Yeah. You were just playing. And then be the scientist once you've got the thing and you're able to step away from it. And from there, you know, edit it, make it, make it the best thing that you can. Like, like those final touches on a sculpture, maybe, you know, where you're just like carving a few extra little things and taking a step back and walking back in and sanding something and taking another step back and looking at it. And then, and then 
detach like a warrior and then say, okay, I did that thing, put it out in the world, move on. Right. Yeah. Versus like, this is the most precious thing that I've ever made. Cause I spent a lot of time writing songs when I was young <laughs> that I was like, this is the one, this is the one thing. Right. You know, this is all, I, like, like almost like there was a shortage of creativity and I was afraid that I wasn't, I didn't have much. And so I was so precious with those songs versus like, how much more would I have grown if I was like, oh yeah, I wrote another song, whatever, it's fine. Next one, next one, next one, until you, and then some are great. And I love, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it with this. Chris Martin from Coldplay. I heard him say on an interview one time, Howard Stern was interviewing him and he was talking about how he wrote the song Yellow, their first hit, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and he told the story and he said, dude, you wrote that song in like 15 minutes. How, that's incredible. I mean, you wrote that song, how, how did that song come through in 15 minutes? He said, and Chris Martin said, yeah, man, well, you didn't hear the 7,000 I wrote before that, you know? And, yep. and so, so just play, go write the 7,000 songs and put yourself out there and go for it and be relentless and just liberate yourself through that process of expression and then see what opens up. I love it. I Love it. Well, David, if people want to follow you and see what you're up to, what's the best way for them to do that? Just at David Tosti on Instagram is probably the best place. At David Tosti, I'll be there. Send me a, send me a message. Say hello. I love it. Well, David, this has been an incredible conversation. Uh, I have thoroughly enjoyed this. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, man. I really enjoyed talking with you too, bro. I appreciate you. Thanks so much. Of course. So you've been listening to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw. And here to play us out one last time is David Tosti. Yeah.
This podcast is powered by Roberts Media Group, your resource for podcast development. For more programming and advertising opportunities, please visit us at robertsmediagroup.co.